Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Amen. Thanks, Joey. Uh, middle schoolers are released, apparently. I had that instruction before I came up. So, all right. So, any middle schoolers, please be released. And then let's pray for Israel, shall we, before we get into the message. Yeah. Lord, we, we recognize the mess up that took place when Abram and I and, uh, and Sarah took, took it upon themselves to sort out what you had promised and messed up. And to this day, Lord, we live with this, this fight in the Middle East that seems to have no solution. And we pray, as you said to us, we should do, Jesus. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And cry out this morning, Lord, for those who have been affected by this and the lives lost and the families who've been just, yeah, just so devastated by loss of life on both sides, in fact. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that peace would come. We lift the nation of Israel to you this morning. We lift its people. But Father, we know that there are believers in Palestine as well who love you, who are also affected by all of this. And Father, we pray that your peace would rest on that region of the world and that you would cause by the work of your Holy Spirit a miracle in the hearts and lives of those who, who are desperate for an answer in a difficult situation. We bless them this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to talk to you today. Um, about a subject which is very close to my heart, and that is the presence of the Lord and, uh, and what it means to live in the presence of God. And uh, I know for me it's been, a, been an incredible journey. I this week just read something which I found quite interesting. It was on the BBC, and it was uh, the, the Nobel Prizes that are being handed out, and I was reading about the one for physics, and I'm going to read you what they said, because it's just very interesting. Because, um, you know, so often the scientists and everybody's been so against the word, but this year's Nobel Prize for Physics went to two physicists who demonstrated a way to create extremely short pulses of light that can be used to capture and study rapid processes in atoms. These are measured in attoseconds. And at a second is to a second what a second is to the age of the universe. A quintillionth of a second. But here's what hit me. They used to not make any comment about it. And then they, the physicists have discovered that there was a start to the universe. There was a time when it started. And we know that from Scripture what they have said, though, is that it's just a, just a, a big bang. So, so, so it came about the big bang theory because they needed to have some theory as to how it all started. Now, we know, you know, we believe God, God created it. What are the chances if, you know, you look at your vehicle, certainly you've got a, a modern, nice motor vehicle, and, and your car, uh, what are the chances of that being created by throwing a bomb into a scrapyard and hoping that the bang would cause this car to come, you know. What are the chances? I mean, how many, how many bombs are you going to have to throw into that scrapyard until you get your 
beautiful Honda out of there. Um, it's, it's, it's extremely unlikely. And I think that's, that's where the whole, I mean, it's just a theory, isn't it? It's a, it's a theory that there was a big bang and so this all came to pass. And it was a big accident in some ways because it was a, an explosion. Um, and so your thoughts this morning are just purely accidental. And we're here by accident. And when you begin to consider these things, you realize that there's no purpose to it. And you cannot find a purpose for life outside of God. God is our, he's given us purpose, he's given us destiny. He has in every way made a way for us to have meaningful existence. But for those who do not know him, it, it really is just, it's an accident. And um, using then just the understanding that this incredible, because the physicists will, will be, they're beginning to say there's intelligence behind what happened. Um, which is interesting. Um, if <laughs> you begin to consider the intelligence of the Lord, I mean, it's just phenomenal. But imagine God creates the earth and he creates us and this, the purpose is that we would be his family and he would have relationship with us. And we're talking today about living in his presence. So he, he longs for that presence. He longs for us to relate to him and to, to dwell in his presence. But imagine... He starts out and he creates man and then he has to make himself known to man. What would be a good way of doing that? The good way of doing that, I think, would be to put some, uh, some thoughts into the minds of those who would, as scribes, write down because we understand that the Bible has been written by the Holy Spirit. And so he tells us the story of what's happening and he tells us what his desires are for us. But also coming out of that, is an incredible desire, I believe, in the heart of God to meet with us, to dwell with us. And, um, and right at the start when he created man and, man and woman and put them into this beautiful garden, his desire was to dwell with them. It got messed up. But there's a very interesting uh, history on the purpose of man. If you go back into the 1600s, 1647, 48, I think they finally published from the Westminster Catechism, uh, a whole bunch of folk from the, well, theologians from Scotland and England got together and they try to bring together their thinking as to what's the purpose of man? Because if it was just a big bang, there's no purpose, but if God created us, he has a purpose for us. And they just came up with this very short summary in the end of, a, of lots and lots of, I mean, it, was, it took a couple of years apparently, but they just, they asked this question, what is the chief end of man? What is, what's the final purpose of us? And their answer was this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What a, what a lovely statement. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I think God wants our lives to glorify him. I think when we die, we need to die knowing that my life glorified him. But I'm here to enjoy him forever, <clears throat> both in this life and the, and the life to come. It's a forever enjoyment of the Lord. And so when, when they were put into the Garden of Eden, and that's, you know, this, that's the picture that God's, God gives us, he would walk with them. He would be with them in the cool of the evening. And that was great. Um, until one evening the Lord arrived and, and they were hiding. And they had done the one thing 
that he asked them not to do, and that was to eat of the tree of good and evil. They should not do that, and of course they did, because why? Because they're human. And, and we all mess up, and that's been the constant problem, hasn't it? All along the line, God's had to make a plan to get, a, to get us out of our trouble and to break the sin. Because he is a holy God, we cannot present ourselves in his presence if there's sin between us. Between us and God, it's sin that separates us. So the consequence of that was that they were banished from the garden. And um, that meant they were banished from his presence. That was, that was the great consequence. It, it was a punishment, but it was a consequence in many ways. Man brought it on himself, he banished himself from the presence of God because God's a holy God and he cannot be present with unholy people. And so sin has to be dealt with in order for us to be in the presence of God. Heaven in, in the Hebrew culture is understood to be the, to be the presence of God. Heaven's not a, it's not a geographical place. And one day when Jesus returns, the word says that heaven will come to earth, but it'll be a new earth and it'll be a new heaven. And so the presence of God is coming to earth and we're going to dwell with him forever. And the word says that when we, come, when we meet Jesus in that situation, we'll know who he is because we'll be like him. And that means we will have a resurrected body at that time. And it's going to be the most glorious, incredible situation because then there will be no sin and there will be a perfect life for us with him forever. But in the meantime, it's sin that separates man from God. And I, I want us today to be reminded of the incredible privilege we have of being able to enter into his presence and, just, and to dwell with him and to have him live in us. And bear in mind, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he's with us, he's in us all day, every day. It's an incredible privilege. And so the big picture is this, God created man and he put him on the earth so that he might make them part of his family and he might enjoy them as we should be enjoying him forever. And then man messed up. And the rest of the story until Jesus comes is about how God put into place certain things that would enable man to be able to get into his presence and dwell with him. And because sin separates man from God, it's the sin that has to have a way to be dealt with. I, I as I look through Scripture, believe that man's best place, his most glorious and peaceful place, is in the presence of God. And I think for all of us, we've, we've experienced that when we, when we just, whether it's in a meeting or whether it's just you know, in a quiet place, just experiencing the presence of God, it's, it's our best place. It's the most glorious place. And so in the Garden of Eden, it was like that, and then they got kicked out. At Sinai, we, we read one of the first places again where man began to have a plan put in place by God that would take them out of the situation of being in sin and be able to dwell with God. And so Moses is given instructions as they come into the, uh, into the desert and, um, and God tells them to build a tabernacle and he says, I will, I will dwell with you in the tabernacle. And we'll look at that this morning. But later on it became the temple uh, in Jerusalem and a temple was built and God said, I'll dwell you know, in, in, the, in the midst of you in, in the temple. Um, until Jesus himself came. And then when Jesus himself came, we end up with a situation where we actually have God himself on earth in, in bodily form. And uh, just before he leaves, Jesus says, I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Father, the promise of the Father is coming. And so you to go back and wait in Jerusalem. And of course, they go back and, and the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God comes upon each one of them. And he said, it's better that I go because then I can dwell with each one of you. Because while he was here physically, he was limited by his physical body, but he left and then enabled each and every one of us to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And um, it's such an incredible privilege. But if we go back to the Garden of Eden, you'll see, just quickly to get the scriptures uh, in our hearts, Genesis 3 verse 8, after they'd eaten the fruit, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves, what were they hiding from? From the presence of the Lord. And they hid themselves among the trees of the garden. So that was what happened because they could not enter into the presence of God because of the sin that had entered into them and into their hearts. And it's all pretty difficult after that in terms of God meeting with his people. It was, it's, it's hard for God to, to actually meet with people after that and encounter them. And we see bits and pieces here and there. You know, Jacob wrestled with the Lord all night and uh, had his hip put out of joint, but but man in the presence of God was not an ongoing event in the Old Testament until, as I said, the time of Moses, when Moses came along and he turned aside in the desert and went to the burning bush and God began to deal with him and, and introduce him you know, into a whole new way of doing things. And he met with God in the cleft in the rock and he, he, he would actually meet, to God, meet with God face to face. And so things began to change then. Deuteronomy 30 verse, 34 verse 10 says, There's never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now, as you go through the Old Testament, you'll see in many places it speaks about the face of God or Moses, Moses met God face to face. And the presence of God is often described as the face of God or uh, the, the, the presence of God uh, you know, being seen face to face as Moses did. If you were in someone's presence in the understanding then, you, you were opposite them face to face. And that, that was the understanding. And Moses then said to the Lord, if, you know, if your presence, your presence, this, this experience we have of you being with us, if it doesn't go before us, let us not go up. It's, don't send us out of here, Lord, if, if, that doesn't, if that's not the case. In Exodus 33, verse 13, we won't put it up. I'll just read it to you quickly. It says, now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, Moses says to the Lord, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said to him, my presence, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. What a picture. What an incredible Incredible privilege. And Moses said to him, Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. I frequently, as I did again this morning, I, I don't want to get up in this pulpit if his presence does not go before me. And I pray that so often I'd say, God, please, if your presence does not go before me, let me not go up. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us 
so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And I want to say to you this morning, you are distinct because the presence of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you are born again, the promise of the word is that God dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. We become the temple and we're the carriers of his presence. And we are unique people and wherever you go, you are unique because you are distinct from the rest of the world. And we need to understand that. And the world hates God. And the world wants to avoid him because the sin has separated us from him. But you are unique and you're a carrier. What a privilege. Exodus 33 verse 13, the Lord replied in the, in, in the New Living Translation, I will, this is that scripture, but just a different translation. I will personally go with you, Moses, and I'll give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. <laughs> what an incredible, you know, what an incredible promise! What a what a privilege that we will we will have rest and everything will be fine for us. And so we need to understand and we need to live in that place where we personally know God walking with us, God going before us. Exodus thirty three verse fifteen in the ESV says, he "said to them, we've read it. If your presence will not go with me." Do not bring us up from here. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Because they wanted to be in his presence. And, and so when we gather together like this, there is a corporate presence of God. And we know when two or three are gathered together, there he is in the midst of them. But his promise is also that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So as we go home, we need to go knowing that as we leave this place, he goes before us because he's in us and he's with us wherever we go. The Israelites could not face the presence of God. When they came out of Egypt and they ended up at the Sinai, Mount Sinai, they could not face the presence of God. They asked that Moses would speak to him on their behalf. Why? Because sin separated them from him and they were terrified of God because there was a consequence. The terror of sinful man in the presence of God can only now be dealt with through the shed blood of Jesus because sin could only ever be dealt with by, by shed blood. So the Lord then in that place gives them the tabernacle as a means of being able to, to have his, his, his presence dwell with them in the desert. And that's an incredible story. So it's it's in, in the Old Testament a pattern of what was coming. We need to understand that God gave that to them so that they could have his presence with them wherever they went in the wilderness, but that it also speaks of that which was to come when Christ would come and fulfill everything that needed to be done. So God tells them to build a tabernacle. He says to them, I will meet you on the mercy seat and I will speak to you from there and I'll travel with you. And so we know the story of the cloud by, the, by day and the, and the fire by night. And the tabernacle presence was something which was not taken lightly. And, I, and that's what I want to focus on now, just the incredible amount of effort that went into fulfilling what was needed for man's sin to be dealt with so that the priests could get into the presence of God. And, and this is the story. So when, when the, the tabernacle was filled with the glory, it says the cloud covered the tabernacle 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the Lord had settled down over it. And the glory, the kabod is the, the Hebrew word, it's the, the weighty heaviness of the presence of God so filled the tabernacle that Moses couldn't even get in. And now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey because the presence was going before them. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained there where they were until it lifted. And the, the cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night, fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. When Solomon's temple was finally built, in other words, the, the, the temporary tabernacle ended, they now, now built a permanent building. Solomon built that, as you recall. In 2 Chronicles 5 verse 13, it says that the presence was so heavy upon them as they, as they dedicated this building, this, this new temple. It says it came to pass, this is 2 Chronicles 5.13, came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth, for, endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. So the permanent dwelling also got filled with this cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Again, that kabot, that heavy, weighty presence of God was there. But everything is still a shadow of what's to come and what we are now living in. Because when Jesus came, the glory presence was in our midst. John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then, as I said, when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So this presence will be with you always. With each one of you, you will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in Psalm 51, we see how David in some ways had a, he had a foreknowledge of what was coming. I think prophetically he, he knew it and I think he lived in part of it because of his close relationship to God. But in Psalm 51 verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. In other words, this, the sin that separates us, I, I need a clean heart and put a new and right spirit within me. And then he says, and do not cast me away from your presence because he understood the banishment that comes when sin gets between us and God. Do not cast me away from your presence. And then says, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So David had had a, he'd seen that in advance. Then of course, when we get into the New Testament and Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit, he then pours it out on all men, not just on the, on the Jews, but everybody is able to enter into the presence of God. What an incredible story. It says in Acts 10 verse four, as, um, it, it, uh, sorry, 44, in Acts 10, 44, it records the turning point in the life of a man by the name of Cornelius who, who experienced the presence of God through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as they gave their lives to the Lord. And they were Gentiles, which is what most of us are. So the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. Peter was, was still speaking to him and the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They began to speak in tongues, extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold baptism from them? Water. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? Just as we have. 
And that's why to this day, after this service, there's going to be a baptism because it's become part of what Jesus expects of us. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for a few days. So we have had in Church of the Nations many, many moments when we have experienced a corporate presence of the Holy Spirit. And yet we also live in the incredible privilege every day of knowing we can enter into the presence of God. And we hunger and thirst for that presence, that, that heavy presence. And sometimes people are overwhelmed by the Spirit in terms of just weeping or, or, of, or of laughing. Um, and many of you would have seen or heard those things. Uh, there, there are moments when people are just sovereignly healed by God, when the presence of God comes powerfully into the, into the meeting. Um, and I always say to people, it's not how you fall down, it's how you go home that matters. Um, and so we've had some incredible experiences of the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I personally, I hunger and thirst for the, for the presence of God. But I want us to be reminded of what it cost. What it cost for that to happen. And we see it in the Old Testament as we look through that and see how the tabernacle and the work that took place in the tabernacle just so that the priests could get into the presence of God. It was huge what had to happen before that. So when the priests began their work originally, um, after the tabernacle was made, it says that after the ordination ceremony, that was the ordination of Aaron and the priests, his sons, Moses called together Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, I want you to see what they have to do. Take a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defects, and present them to the Lord. Then tell the Israelites, take a male goat for a sin offering, calf and lamb, both a year old without defects for burnt offering, bull and ram for a peace offering, flour moistened with olive oil for a grain offering, and present all these offerings to the Lord because the Lord will appear to you today. So the people presented all these things at the entrance of the tabernacle, just as Moses had commanded. So they went into the outer courts of the outer court of the tabernacle. The whole community came forward and stood before the Lord, and Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering, burnt offering, purify yourself and the people, present the offerings of the people to purify them making them right with the Lord. And so it went on and on and on. Aaron went to the altar, slaughtered the calf as a sin offering. His sons brought in the blood. He dipped his finger in it and put the blood on the horns of the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Then they burned the fat, the kidneys, the long lobe, the liver, and it goes on and on. The meat and the hide, however, were burned outside the camp. Next, Aaron slaughtered the animal for the burnt offering. His sons brought in the blood. They poured that and splattered that on the altar. They handed in the piece of burnt offering, including the head which he burned on the altar. They washed the internal organs and then burned them on the altar. Then they presented the offerings of the people. I just went on and on and on in order to enter the presence of the Lord. And we take it so lightly. Aaron slaughtered the bull, the ram, people's peace offerings did all, all of that, and then after all of that, Aaron raised his hands towards the people and blessed them. Then after presenting the sin offering, burnt offering, peace offering, he stepped down from the altar, and Moses and Aaron, at that point only, went into the tabernacle 
where God said he would meet with them. And when they came back out, they blessed the people again and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. And fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell face down on the ground. Now when they didn't get it right, two of the sons of Aaron the high priest, Nadab and Abihu, they put coals on the fire and they got their incense burners and they began to sprinkle incense on them. They didn't do it the way the Lord said they should do it. And in this way, it says, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. And they died there before the Lord because they didn't get it right. And we take it so lightly. There is now only one way for all people on earth, only one way into the presence of the Lord, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. No more bulls, no more oxen, no more sheep. Only one way. And I want to share with you now some pictures of that tabernacle so that you understand the, the foreshadowing of what would happen. The, the, the foreshadowing of the Old Testament as it points to Jesus and everything that happened in that tabernacle, how it points to the fact that Jesus would sort it all out for us eventually. So if we can just, pick, uh, we can just pull up the first picture, if you wouldn't mind. That's the Negev Desert. That's the wilderness that Moses and the people entered and wandered around for 40 years in. I mean, that, it, I, in my mind, you know, Jane and I had the privilege of being there earlier in the year in Israel. And um, we'd been through the Negev on a previous trip, but in my mind, I'd never been down this part of, of Israel. And I thought at this stage it would have been sorted out, but it still stands as, an, as a wilderness. Um, and for 40 years, they walked through there. I, I thought it would be sand, you know, and a bit like, bit like the Sahara Desert that they draw in the, in the comic books where you come upon an oasis every now and then, and it's great. And that's where they lived in this. It's just phenomenal. Next one. And uh, those are, that's a picture of, of Solomon's colonnades. Now, you'll see there are people at the bottom there going up. That was part of our group that went up there. And you, you just realize that that was, you know, that was a very hostile environment where they were. And just talking about Solomon, when they, when they, they be, well, then when, when they dedicated the, the new temple, the, the temple that was built then in Jerusalem out of, it was then it would have been built out of stone. Solomon sacrificed just so that they'd get this thing right. You need to understand the magnitude of it. 22,000 oxen. Can, can you imagine what it's like to slaughter and sacrifice 22,000 oxen? And 120,000 sheep. I mean, just, just the work involved in that, in order to deal with the sin so that they could dedicate the building so that the presence of God could come. And that's what, that's what had to happen. And when the priests came out of that holy place, we, we read it earlier, a thick cloud filled the temple. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Incredible, isn't it? Just an amazing story. So I climbed up the little hill and that was there, and they have built now 
a tabernacle exactly the size, according to Scripture, that the Israelites would have carried with them through the desert and had with them where the presence of God was during those years. So the next picture is a picture of that tabernacle. Many of you would have seen this. Some of you probably have been there. It's in, in Timna Park in the Negev. And uh, if you look in the background, you'll see a bus on the other side of... And that bus is, so it gives you a bit of a proportional size of what the tabernacle looked like. That outer courtyard was uh, where the people were allowed into. And the, the first structure inside on, on towards the left of that uh, enclosure... That's the, uh, that, that's the altar where the sacrifices took place. Then the one next, the little smaller uh, thing just to the right of that is, uh, is the, the laver. That's the place where the priest would wash his hands. And then the tabernacle itself is that tent in the middle there. And we, we're going to look at that in a little bit more detail. Next picture. So that's the, the picture of the altar uh, where the sacrifices were burnt. You'll see the, the four horns on the corner. And so... Blood would be sprinkled on those horns, and then the sacrifice would be burnt on the, on the altar itself. Next one. Um, and that's the picture of that, you know, the, the wall or the, the enclosure that was made from material on the outside and enclosed that outer court. Next one. And that's a picture standing. They've got a little thing to stand on, so you can look down into the altar, and that's where the sacrifices would have been made um, so they, they, they try to build it exactly according to what the Bible says. This is, which were the instructions to Moses. He wrote it all down. It's all been accurately uh, recorded. And so they built it ex exactly according to those sizes. All right, next one. There was the laver. That's where the priest would then, having done the sacrifices, he would need to wash. And then he would have to put on linen clothes and, and be dressed in a particular way so that he could then enter into the presence but he didn't get into the Holy of Holies. He only got into the, the first sections. The next picture. That's the, the picture there then of the tent and uh, the group of us standing in front of it. But on the side, it's pretty much just shade. I think if you get the next one, we'll get a better, better understanding. There we go. And that central part uh, would be probably about as, as high as this ceiling is when you go into it and no bigger than the front of the stage. So just to give you an idea of what you would then enter into, you would, uh, the priest would then come from the outer court where you'd be sitting and come into the, um, the holy place, which was the first section. Behind that, and the holy place wasn't much bigger than that, but behind that then was the holy of holies. And each of those signified certain things in what God was doing to bring people to the place where they could actually face his presence and not be terrified um, because, because sin was such a terrible thing. Um, okay, next one. And that's inside the, the first section, and that would be that what they put up there is their understanding of what the curtain would look like, the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. So in other words, that would be here, and that's facing it here, and Nobody was allowed, allowed into the Holy of Holies because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. So the Ark of the Covenant is right at the back, and once a week, the priest could go in there, and I'll explain to you what he had to do, but only once a year could the high priest go into the place where the Holy of Holies was, where the Ark is, and God said, I will speak to you from, 
the mercy seat. Um, and I'll show you a picture of, of a representation of that. All right, next one. That's the roof inside of the, uh, of the, outer, of the uh, holy place. That's the, the first section of the tent. Next one. And that's how the priest had to get dressed up. Uh, that's not a real guy inside there, just in case you're worried, because he doesn't look so healthy. Okay. <laughs> but um, but that's, how he had to, that's how he had to dress up. And then he would go in there once a week, dressed like that, to go and minister to the Lord. But there were a few things he had to do which were very important. Next one. The first was, as you go in, on the left-hand side, there is a table with this lampstand on it, with the seven oil lamps. And that had to be kept alight all the time. Those those lights were never to go off. In other words, the, 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 the light from the oil, they were oil lamps, had to be kept burning 24-7. When there was, it should never have been allowed to go out. And that was the job of the priest to do that. On the other side, so that was on the left side. As you come in then on the left side, that's what was there. On the, on the right-hand side, there was another table about this big. And on that table were these 12 loaves of bread uh, one for every tribe of Israel and the flagon of, of wine to the left of that. And every Sabbath, the priest would come in and he would replace those uh, loaves of bread with fresh bread so that the bread never became stale. And that table was called the, 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 the table of presence or the table of face bread. Called that because it signified the face of God, that they would meet with, with God and it was the face-to-face -face of the, sh the showbread, the, the show-up bread, if you like, but it also known as showbread, known as the, as the presence of God. And so that was, that was laid out there. And every, as I said, every Sabbath, fresh bread would come in to signify the fresh presence, or the ongoing presence of the Lord with his people. Amazing symbolism of what was to come. But that which is even more impressive for us, when you think back, is the moment when Jesus stood up in Jerusalem and said, he said, I am the light of the world. And then he said to them, and I am the bread of life. Incredible, incredible picture. And it comes because out of everything that we find in the Old Testament, God was laying a foundation of that which was to come. And everything foreshadowed the coming of Christ and spoke into the coming of Christ. And so everything that had to happen, Jesus accomplished when he became the sacrifice. He became that sacrifice. And so the blood, his blood was shed, innocent blood shed for all sin forever. And now there, there is no temple, there is no tabernacle, and Jesus has paid for all sin. And we get to simply say, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I make you Lord of my life. And we get to enter into the presence of the King. What a privilege. What an incredible privilege. And so those rods that are on the side, those were used by the Kohathites to carry 
you know, to, to carry these through the desert, and, uh, and the ark had the same thing. And so that light and that bread signifying Jesus, and once he came, no longer necessary. Next one. That was the altar of incense. Told you that uh, the sons of Aaron messed up with that. But in, in Revelation, we read about the prayers of the saints going up like incense before the Lord. And so the prayers were offered at that altar, and that altar was immediately before the curtain that led into the Holy of Holies. And so the priest would give, you know, he would hold up the prayers, and you can see they painted the horns of the altar uh, red so that signifies the blood that was then put on those horns. All right, next one. And then once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and there the cherubim, the angels, made out of a solid piece of gold with their wings touching in the middle. And God said, and I will speak to you from the mercy seat. So that was the mercy seat. That's a picture of what it would have looked like. Not huge at all, you know, this, this sort of size. And, um, and the two angels there. And inside the ark, we can have a look at that. Inside the ark were the tablets that Moses had received from the Lord at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments on them. And his rod, the rod of Aaron that had budded. You remember when the, when the Israelites had rebelled against him and, uh, and Moses said, you know, every, every leader bring your rod and put it before the Lord. And the next morning they woke up and Aaron's rod had budded. Uh, it even had some, uh, was it almonds on it? And uh, that's the rod. So they put that in there. And this was the last picture that I have to show you because it's just such a pretty picture of what those angels look like, those cherubim. Um, and you know it's not made of solid gold now, obviously, um, but, but that was just an incredible picture. Now, here's the amazing thing as well. You know, the Lord says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And so they would have to go through all of those things. But there's a picture uh, that I have in my mind, which... which it, in some ways, it, I won't say haunts me, that's not a good word, but, but, it, but it impacts me so many times. It's one simple little statement. It's just one sentence in the Gospels. It says, when Jesus was held up on the cross and he became the sacrifice for us, it says, at the moment that he passed away, when the sacrifice was complete. In the temple, which was then the temple in Jerusalem, probably twice the height of this, so the curtain would have been twice the height. And it says in that moment that the Lord tore the curtain from top to bottom. No man could have reached up there, only God. And what did it mean? It meant that the curtain was torn so that nobody could be separated again from the presence of our Lord Jesus and God the Father. What a privilege. What an incredible privilege. Now we get to be those who can enter in. We simply give our lives to Jesus and I want to ask you to just close your, close your eyes at the moment and if there's anyone here this morning who 
who needs to do that. It's, it's, it is such a simple thing to do and yet such a privilege and so profound when we simply pray, just pray in your heart and say, Say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I recognize that, that you died on a cross. Your blood was shed for me so that I could be set free and I can enter into the presence of our Father. Please forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for all I've done wrong. But I'm so grateful that you died for me and you've now paid with your blood for every sin forever. And I know that as I confess my sins, your word tells me that I'm forgiven. If you confess your sins, the word says, then he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so we can stand before the King of Kings in righteousness. We're right with him because the, the penalty has been paid consequences of sin has been paid for and the miracle of new life in Christ is ours so if you've prayed that this morning thank you Lord Jesus that you can just you can just say to him thank you Lord Jesus that you have saved me and I and we praying with you and trusting with you if there's anyone who did pray that won't you come and see us afterwards just come and come chat to me if you'd like to I'd love to just shake you by the hand and yeah, welcome you into the kingdom but for the rest of us this morning, we're, we're encouraged, I believe, to live in the place of forgiveness for our sins, and it comes through confessing them. Peter said to the folk in Acts 3 verse 19, he said, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And then he's, he, he gives them this promise, and it's ours this morning. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he'll again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. It was sin that brought separation. It's the blood of Christ that's brought us back to the Father and given us life in all its fullness. So won't you open your hands in your lap this morning and I want to just, just want to bless you with Father's blessing as we just... Dwell for a moment in the wonderful knowledge that He is with us, that today His presence is here, and that when you leave, He has promised you, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and that we gather corporately and enjoy the corporate presence and the corporate presence of the Holy Spirit right in the midst of us. When we leave, we go home knowing that we, we are now, the word says, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit and he dwells in you and will be with you and he will go before you, beside you and behind you. He will fill your life as you allow him to. So Father, we repent. We repent of all of our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you took it upon yourself and we walk free, cleansed, blood washed, and able to go right into the very holy of holies any moment of any day. We can enter into your presence. Be with you.
live in that presence in the most difficult circumstance. And that will be not just for now in this world, but forever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you would like to have us pray with you, and if anyone would like a, you know, just for us to agree with you for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, we'd be very happy to do that at the end. But um, service, you know, would come to a close at this point, and there's coffee. And uh, those of you who are going to be baptized, and if any of you got got the message to, from the Holy Spirit in the meeting to get baptized, you better get in the corner there with Joey now after this service. All right, let's stand and uh, and Lord. Would you bless each and every one here? Would you cause them to know your peace and your joy? And may they live in the fullness of the abundance of the promise that you made to us. That the enemy came to kill, steal, and to destroy, but you came to give us life in all its fullness. And I bless you this morning with life in all its fullness. And all the children of God say, Amen. Amen. Have a great day.